Hey friends, and welcome back to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. This week we're talking about Revelation again. We're talking about our second set of churches uh, that have a lot of similarities. Last week we talked about uh, the churches of Ephesus, Pergamum, and Thyatira. This week we talk about Smyrna and Philadelphia, and I think you'll see very easily why we group those together. Uh, the book I'm using uh, by Craig Coaster uh, really kind of uh, highlights the, the similarities, and I think it's, it's very easy to see as well. So again, I hope you're enjoying this series. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. And uh, next week, we'll finish up with the churches and get into some really fun stuff after that. Thanks again for being here. Again, it's good to see all of you out this morning as we worship God together. Uh, Tyler has done an excellent job again today. I wanna, we've got a, a great group of guys that lead us in worship week after week. We want to thank them. Make sure you thank them. And thank their families for giving them up for uh, two straight services. Uh, that's, uh, that's a lot of fun and a lot of coordination that goes into that as well. Uh, we are starting back again with Revelation. Uh, we're covering two more churches. Remember last week we covered uh, three of them in Revelation 2, but we left one out. Uh, last week was Ephesus, Pergamum, and Thyatira. This week we're covering both Smyrna in chapter 2 and in uh, Philadelphia in chapter 3. Again, we, we talked last week. We're doing this because they're so similar to each other in the three that we grouped last week and the two that are grouped today. Uh, so hopefully, uh, as we read through here, you'll see exactly why. So our reading today, again, starts Revelation 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And again from Revelation 3, starting in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet. And acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, did you hear some similarities between the two churches? 
Did you hear some big differences from what we covered last week versus what these two churches were facing? If you remember last week, again, the churches of Ephesus, Pergamum, and Thyatira, they were really dealing with some uh, really identity crisis. The churches there, their biggest issue was what they let in. They, they started following people's teaching, which led them to partake in uh, meal sacrifice to idols and things like that. And remember, we talked about it wasn't just cut and dry as, well, do you follow God only or do you follow these idols? Because just to make a living, just to exist within that culture, uh, if you were a textile worker, you would join a textile worker association or union or something like that. And each of those things, each of those occupations would have like patron gods or goddesses over them that we would pray to, thank you, Lord, for the textile industry doing so well this year, right? And so that's what they had to face. Do I feed my family by joining these groups? I know that I, you know, all these gods and goddesses aren't anything. I know that this meat sacrifice or this idol isn't anything. God is the only thing. And so you see how you start being able to justify partaking in these things, right? That I can justify, I need to feed my family, we need to survive, and so I'll join this association and associate myself with this god or goddess, and thus, before long, the church looks exactly like the culture around it. You see that? Remember the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus said over and over, which I also hate. Again, that was a, a part of identity. The church is supposed to stand out, and what the church started doing was kind of fading into the background as a part of the culture entirely. What we saw today in the churches was a persecution coming. Uh, neither of these were uh, in the same line from uh, what, what you saw last week from these false prophets or people trying to convince them to join the culture. It was exactly because they were different from the culture that this per persecution came. Uh, what you may think of when you think back to uh, this first century and persecution, you may think about the Roman government because they occupied the territory. Now we're talking about churches that are in this territory. And uh, you may think, well, they went around systematically, you know, knocking on doors, taking people out, saying, are you a Christian? That's really not what happened, at least not initially in this time. Uh, what really happened in that in this time was was this kind of um, relationship between the Roman Empire and the people under it. So the Jews really enjoyed this special relationship with the Roman government. So Rome prided itself on having what they called Roman peace. Now that sounds good and well until you started making a little fuss, and then the Roman peace brought the hammer of justice down your head. You know, that's what happened. You know, we're going to squash anything that comes up. And that's how we have peace, because we shut everybody up. But they had a good relationship with the Jews. So they saw the Jews as a different religion, so they didn't have to worship Caesar as Lord. Uh, but they saw them as someone who didn't cause a ruckus. They weren't to be feared. And so the Roman peace could continue going along. Did you catch in both of these churches... Jesus talks about the synagogue of Satan. Did you catch that? Wouldn't you like that to be your church? Where do you visit? Where do, where do you worship at? Oh, down, down the street at the synagogue of Satan. Oh, yeah, good church, good church. Uh, no, you don't want that, do you? No, but what, what they were dealing with here 
was the Jews at this point, and when we understand being where we are culturally, we understand that from the Jews comes Jesus, right? A Jew comes Christianity, right? Well, from them in these two places, notice last week you didn't get synagogue of Satan. But here in the synagogues, what the Jews would do is they would go to the Roman authorities and say, hey, 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 they are not us. We have that relationship with you guys. You know, we're not a threat. You know, you got, you got that big fake smile. Uh, car salesman. Do we have car salesmen here? I'm, I'm here. That's question. You got that big smile on your face, you know. It, it, they, but they are not from us. And what they will say is some kind of, uh, they're, they're some kind of uh, superstitious, you know, kind of mischievous superstition that's going on. And you think about it from our standpoint, the superstition was that our Lord and Savior had died and rose again, right? Okay, and so what you need to know is there are three ways that Jews would kind of push this idea that Christians were to be feared, and thus you need to persecute them and stop them. Okay, number one is Christians are incestuous because we call each other brother and sister. And so first service, I looked up, and Tyler and Julia were sitting beside each other. And I said, well, they call each other brother and sister, but they, they're expecting a baby later this year, right? And so that's what the Jews did. They said, look at this crazy stuff that's going on. They call each other brother and sister, and here comes a baby, right? What are we going to do with that, Roman authorities? Right? And so another thing, so that's number one, incestuous. Number two, they would say those Christians over there are cannibals. Why is that? All they talk about is eating the, eating the flesh and drinking the blood. You believe that? Crazy people, right? We've got to do something about them eating other people, right, and drinking their blood. All right, and number three is they would say, you know what? We have one God, and you all know that relationship with us. Them, they are polytheistic. Why? Because we pray the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? You see that? When I was at Lipscomb, uh, we brought in a, uh, a guest speaker who was Jewish. He, he led a synagogue, actually, in Nashville. And one of his things was he actually got his doctorate from Lipscomb because he wanted to learn more about Christianity. And when he got done with his, his doctoral, all his stuff, he said, you know, y'all keep saying there's only one God, but every time I hear you explain it, I hear three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And so again, we're incestuous, we're cannibals, and we're polytheistic. And so what the Jews did was try to, try to mess up that relationship when Christians weren't doing anything wrong, but because the Jews didn't like the Christians, again, we're going to make this happen. We're going to make this kind of disrupt, and they knew if they did that, that the Roman police, the Roman political system would come crashing down on the Christians. Again, this is not, this is not nationwide. Uh, you didn't see that last week. You don't, actually, these are the only two synagogues, I believe, that's talked about negatively like this. And so you, I don't want you thinking, oh, all Jews were angry. No, it's not the case, but these two were. One of the most fascinating things that you need to be aware of as a Christian is uh, when I found this, uh, I thought, man, this is wonderful. One of the books I read pointed to it. Uh, what, we, what we can find out right here from Pliny the Younger. This is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, uh, kind of mentions about Christianity from non-Christians. So the church hasn't messed with this. The church hasn't you know, influenced this to where it said something different now than it, 
used to or anything like this. So Pliny the Younger was a ruler. Uh, his, his uncle actually raised him up, Pliny the Elder. And Pliny is actually known for writing a bunch of letters, which a lot of them we still have. And so what I'm going to read for you today is kind of long, but it is fascinating because it, it is a view of Christians from a Roman ruler. His letter today is from Pliny the Younger to the Emperor Trajan, okay? And uh, we'll read it and I'll comment as we go. To the Emperor Trajan, it is a rule, sir, which I inviolably, y'all use that this week? Nobody did? Observe to refer myself to you in, in all my doubts, for who is more capable of guiding my uncertainty or informing my ignorance? Having never been present at any trials of the Christians, I am unacquainted with the method and limits to be observed, either in examining or punishing them. So he's writing to Trajan or to the uh, Emperor Trajan, saying, "I've never been a part of this. I know I need to, you know, persecute these people, but I'm not exactly sure how to go about it." You get what he's saying? Starting off here, he says, "Whether any difference is to be made on account of age, does it matter if they're young or old? Okay, no distinction allowed between the youngest and the adult." Whether repentance admits to a pardon, or if a man has been a, once a Christian, it avails him nothing to recant. Whether the mere profession of Christianity, albeit without crimes, or only the crimes associated therewith are punishable. In all these points, I am greatly doubtful. So I'm not sure what to do. Do you punish the young ones as well as the old ones? If you get a hold of them and they say, hey, 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 I'm backing off of this whole Christian thing, is that okay to let them go? Or do, just because they're a Christian, do I need to punish them? You see what he's asking, okay? He says, in the meanwhile, the method I have observed towards those who have been denounced to me as Christians is this. I interrogated them, whether they were Christians. If they confessed it, I repeated the question twice again, adding the threat of capital punishment. If they still persevered, I ordered them to be executed. See what he did there. He asked, are you a Christian? Do you have faith in Christ? And they said, yes. He said, I asked him two more times. I said, you're going to die if you say this. And they still did. If they persevered, I executed. He said, for whatever the nature of their creed might be, I could at least feel no doubt that the contumacy, still haven't used that one, and inflexible obstinacy deserved chastisement. So the fact that they wouldn't change their mind and wouldn't go against their Christian faith, I thought at least that deserves some punishment, right? If nothing else, I just need to punish them for that. He said, there were, also, there were others also possessed with the same infatuation. But being citizens of Rome, I directed them to be carried thither. Again, a word I have used many times this week. But again, a Roman citizen, they had to be carried uh, to Rome instead of dealing with them there. Uh, those who denied they were or had ever been Christians, who repeated after me an invocation to the gods and offered adoration with wine and frankincense to your image, which I had ordered to be brought for that purpose, together with those of the gods and who finally cursed Christ, none of which acts, it is said, those who are really Christians can be forced into performing. These I thought it proper to discharge. Did you catch that? I know those are a lot of words just to say the way Pliny the Younger saw it, that as he came uh, to these people and as he asked them again and again to question their faith, and he said those who recanted, who said, no, I'm not a Christian, offered these gifts to the idols, recanted their faith. He said, what I have been told is true Christians cannot do that. Isn't that interesting? And so 
his proof was if they recanted and did all of these things, who worshiped Caesar and worshiped the gods again, he said that, that wasn't actually a Christian anyway. And so he let them go. And so we continue. He said others who were named by that informer at first confessed themselves Christians and then denied it. True. They had been of that persuasion, but they had quitted it. Some three years, others many years, and a few as much as 25 years ago. So they used to be Christians, now they're not. They all worshiped your statue and the images of the gods and cursed Christ. They turned away from their faith. They affirmed, however, the whole of their guilt or their error was that they were in a habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light. All right, I want you to pay attention. If you've been asleep the whole time, I want you to pay attention right now, okay? As far as I know, this is the earliest account of what Christians did outside the Bible, okay? One more time. They affirmed, however, the whole of their guilt, guilt, or their error was that they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. That sound familiar to you? What was going on there? Christians were meeting. They were having worship. They were trying to encourage one another not to do all these bad things, and they were observing, again, communion together, right? Because remember, the charge from the Jews was all these people are crazy cannibals. But what Pliny found out is they're, they're having this food that is of an ordinary, innocent kind. Some of it today tastes like styrofoam if you get out of the wrong package, right? You're talking about bread and, and wine, right? Very innocent stuff. But look, at, and again, remember he started that, this was their guilt. Okay? Even this practice, however, they had abandoned after the publication of my edict, by which, according to your orders, I had, for, I had forbidden political associations. You see how that went. Politically aligned because Caesar is no longer Lord. Who's Lord? Jesus Christ, right? According to the Christians. Now, the Jews walked this line where, you know, they didn't have to say that. But because the Jews were pushing the Romans, again, no political associations. I judged it so much the more necessary to extract the real truth with the assistance of torture from two female slaves who were styled deaconesses. But I could, I could discover nothing more than depraved and excessive superstition. So what Pliny thought to do is I really have to get the truth. So he grabbed up two women, he calls uh, deaconesses here, of the church, and he tortured them. And he said the only thing he got out of them was more, nothing more than depraved and excessive superstition. Again, not that these people had done anything wrong, but that they believed in Jesus Christ. That's what he got out of that. He said, I therefore adjourned the proceedings and betook myself at once to your counsel, for the matter seemed to me well worth referring to you, especially consider, uh, considering the numbers endangered. Persons of all ranks and ages and of both sexes are and will be involved in the prosecution. Hmm. Tis certain at least that the temples which had been almost deserted began now to be frequented 
And the sacred festivals, after a long intermission, are again revived. While there is a general demand for sacrificial animals, which for some time past have met with but few purchasers, from hence it is easy to imagine what monsters had to face this kind of persecution. Did you catch there at the end uh, Pliny's kind of vision for how, where this would lead? Hey, you know those temples that have kind of been deserted and nobody's been buying up those sacrifices? sacrificial animals anymore, I can really envision a lot of pockets being lined right now. Just because, again, the, these Jews who Jesus calls the synagogue of Satan push this, the Christians were persecuted, and then Pliny gets dollar signs in his eyes. What we're going to get out of this is some money. Now, we are very blessed to live in the area we are living in, Correct? None of us, to my knowledge, have ever endured persecution like what these churches dealt with. Again, for no other reason than not calling Caesar Lord or getting these false things pushed, cannibalism and all this stuff. And so what I want to encourage us to is to be thankful for the blessings that we have. But I also think because we have not faced persecution, we may not be able to feel the gravity of it. And so several years ago, we kind of overreacted to a couple of different things that I would hate to bring before churches who faced persecution. Can you imagine in heaven standing beside someone who went through this and they tell their story and you get done and you think, oh, love, I got one too. One year, I went to Walmart they wish me happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Can you imagine bringing that kind of story to a church that's actually faced persecution? But we acted like we were being persecuted. You remember several years, several years ago? It's a good story about that. Sorry, sister lost her life. You wouldn't begin that sentence, would you? So I think it's important for us to kind of uh, keep, keep a good perspective about what is important and what is not, what is very grave situation and what is not. And so the church here, what you noticed, last week you had churches that had good and bad, right? Do you remember any bad in these two churches? Mm -mm. Because when the persecution comes, you've got to really decide whether the Christians are going to stay or leave. And so what you have left in this church are exactly what Pliny kind of saw from this, is that true Christians aren't going to go back and start cursing Jesus and start sacrificing to these idols and bringing these things, right? And so what you had in this time of persecution is the church being the church. They lived in, a, in an area that was very wealthy, and you saw especially in Smyrna, says, I, I know you feel like you're poor. They're probably small in number, wouldn't you believe, being persecuted like that? I know you feel like you're poor, but did you catch that? You are rich. Because sometimes we look around and we say, well, I'm blessed. I live in a blessed country. We must be doing something right. We must have it all right because we are being blessed by God. Well, a lot of those churches last week that we talked about were in that same position and Jesus had a lot negative to say to them. These churches 
are in a very weak, a very poor situation. Jesus looks at them and says, you are rich. And so sometimes we get it backward, don't we? And so the question should be, is are we a rich or are we a poor church? And I'm not talking about money. Are we rich in the faith of Jesus Christ or are we very poor? Just coming and going along with emotions or maybe just kind of doing nothing. Are we rich or are we poor? Because Jesus encourages these churches, just like he did last week. He says to the victor, I will give you life in one circumstance. To the victor, he said, I will give you life and keep you from the second death. Notice in Smyrna, he didn't say, I'm going to keep you from ever getting persecuted. Because you're a Christian, because you're mine, you'll never have to face anything tough. He said, no, you persevere. You be victorious, and when you are victorious, you will receive life from me. Because that second death is far worse than anything that they can do to you right here, right now. And if we understand that, we can walk more boldly out in the world, can't we? Because we are Jesus' people. Because we are God people. We can face the world. And no, we don't have to stand up boldly against that poor soul that said happy holidays to you at the door. Or the person that handed you the new cup that you didn't vote for. But we can stand up and we can have faith in a world that may not be open to that anymore. Because we love God and we know we are His. So that's my challenge for us as a church. Are we rich or are we poor in the faith of Jesus Christ? Are we people willing to stand up and to be Christians even when things don't go our way? Even when persecutions may come for no other reason than terrible gossip? Are we people that'll be quick to flee? Oh, I was never a Christian. I didn't do that. That was years ago. That's 25 years I've been without Christ. I'll sacrifice to anybody you want me to sacrifice. I'll curse Christ. So who are you this morning? We're going to offer a, a song of invitation. Tyler's going to come. Uh, and if we can pray with you, encourage you, we'd love to do that. Would you come as we stand and sing?